Today's episode is brought to you by Sadie Harper of Southern Ambition. Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Jenny Mitchley. I am Sarah Madras. And this is a show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. And today, did I get it right? You did. Okay. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I love that you always read your logline or say it like it's a question. It yes. is a question a because story? I never know if I'm saying it right or did I do Maybe. it right? Maybe. <laughs> oh, so goodness. today in studio, not in studio, over Zoom, but we are in the studio. Yes. We have the fabulous Jamie Walker. And she's and, the big deal. Like yeah. I checked out her website. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know her. I, only Jenny knows her. And Jenny's like, check out her website. And I was like, oh shit, she's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> we got to bring the A game today. Yeah. You have a really great story, which is why I said when I said to Sarah, I was like, so there's this lady that I know she lives out near Charlotte, which typically we're hyper local. So we try to stay like in the most of our guests are in the triangle, that kind of thing. But I was like, I really wanted to have you here to share your story, because not only do I know Jamie's story as far as the direct sales world of Mm -hmm. stories, but like her family story Mm -hmm. is a byproduct of that as how yeah. it's, you know, not, not, that's not a question. It is a byproduct of her, of what right. happened with the direct sales journey that now has led to other yeah. fabulous See, things I'm and what, Joe's, what, what Joe has done with Pencils of Promise and then how that all led into, yeah. Yeah. And oh. I've literally told her nothing. She, I'm going in blind. <laughs> I'm coming in blind. I know. So be, exciting. Yes. Uh, so Jamie was like, do I get questions or anything for it? And I was like, no. Nope. That's not how we roll. No. <laughs> and not because we're lazy. It's very intentional. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, now I want to know all the deets. All right. Go ahead and ask. So this direct sales, how did that tell me about that? And then how it evolved and birthed the family story. Okay. So you just want my story, huh? Yep. Okay. So I, let's see, direct sales started seven years ago and it was an acquaintance. It was right timing for me. I had been home for two and a half years with too many children. I was a high school teacher and then we had twins and that gave us four kids that were four and under. Wow. So I only say that because I would have gone back to work if I could have afforded it. (laughs) I really like working. I really like grownups. And so I was home for two and a half years with those sweet babies. I wrote a business plan. I wrote a blog. I wrote way too many grocery lists and I just needed something for myself. And I was losing, I really like working and I like responsibilities and structure and all those kinds of things. And I also, I'm one of those weirdos who really liked the party. Like I liked going to the house and buying a necklace because it got me out of the house, there was always wine and snacks and grownups. <laughs> and you know, I was like, I don't know what is so wrong with this. This is good. Right, when um, you're covered so with snot and diapers and you're like you know, wine, adult and snacks and shopping. Hot dogs. Yeah. Check, check. I'm in. <laughs> Which um, more so I had them all. I had been to them all. I was a host of them all. I never wanted to do them though, because I didn't want to do it four nights a week. And I certainly didn't want to lug around a whole bunch of inventory. So I was always in for having it and going to it, but I didn't ever necessarily want to do it myself. So this opportunity, when it came to me, it was, I was in that space where I was like, is this something I want to do? I liked that we didn't have home parties and we didn't have inventory. I liked that it was for skin because I had really terrible skin. I had really bad cystic acne. So it was just like all these things plugged in together. I'm very much a faith-based decision maker, not religious faith, just gut instinct faith, which some might argue is the same thing, but Mm -hmm. I just follow my gut. My husband asked me a lot of fact questions that I was like, I really have no idea. uh, And I don't care. It just feels like the right thing to do. Yes. He sent me on my way and just said, please don't lose all our money. Were his (laughs) words of courageous affirmation. I'm like, okay, I'll do my best. Uh, So at that point, we actually lived in Ohio. Uh, We are, my husband and I are high school sweethearts. We have all of our family network are in the Dayton, Ohio area. 
So this was May. We lived in Ohio. And then in August, we like in the middle of the night, it felt like moved here to Charlotte. My husband got a job as a chief compliance director for a business down here. And we moved in about 15 days, totally uprooted and knew no one or anything. I used GPS to find the grocery store for way too long, I feel like. So at that point, my business was really just based on customers. I was having a great time with it um, because, again, all I wanted was grownups. A cleaning lady would be awesome, too. But my wants, if you will, were satisfied right away because there was grownups involved. So when we got here, it was a transition always. We came from where we had always been. My kids were the first grade in, in kindergarten, and then the twins were three. I had signed them up for uh, preschool back in Ohio, but when we moved here, there wasn't anything available. I joined the YMCA just so that I could put them in a free daycare for two Preach. hours a day. Preach. Um, I feel that. And I never worked out. I just. No, <laughs> you sit with your computer. Yeah, no, I totally did that. My computer or I mean, sometimes I'd walk on the treadmill and pretend I was doing something, so but like, really it was just two hours of free childcare. And it was, and you could get two hours for each kid. So there were days that I would bring the little one in the morning and let her do her two hours. And then in the evening, if I had more to do, I would go back with Nicholas and let him do, yeah. <laughs> like, let him do yeah. the kids. I would get four hours out of a day. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Sadie Harper with Southern Ambition, one of two businesses I own here in the Triangle, providing expert content strategy, copywriting, and editing services to businesses and authors. From web content to LinkedIn profiles, bios, blogs, and business letters, I structure your content to say what you need to say and connect with your clients. For authors, I'll make your manuscript submission ready with editing and arc development, then write your query letter so publishers will listen. Elevate your brand and save time and money by hiring a professional writer. Email me to discuss your needs at hello at southernambition-nc.com. So there was this like pivotal moment in October where I was just, okay, I don't, I, was, I felt very pulled in lots of different directions and wasn't sure that I was giving my best to any of them. And I am very much a all in or I'm all out kind of person. Like I'm either going to show up or I'm not going to show up at all. I don't have any really middle ground. And I just, and I felt like I was in the middle and I did not like that feeling. So I said to my husband, um, I was like, I think I'm just going to step back again. I only had customers still at this point. And he was like, he, he questioned me. He's, you know, why you said you'd give it a year. What's so wrong, you know, with just having a few customers, et cetera. He encouraged me a little bit of you don't quit things, whatnot. And after a full bottle of wine and that conversation, I slammed the table and was like, you know what? you're right. I'm going to build an empire out of this sucker. No more of this. Like I'm going to get to real work. <laughs> and I, I physically remember waking up in the morning with one eye being like, Oh shit. Did I really say that out loud? Like <laughs> now, I, now I have to go and do I it. Because it, out I was like, yep. it out she made the, made the decision. Yep. And it, and I don't know, for whatever reason, the mindset shift of that and that proclamation of uh, commitment from that October to the following October was a totally different business for me. We were fastly growing team. We had achieved the car program within my company. It just was like this huge snowball that just kept getting bigger and bigger, which was tons of fun. Within about, I don't know, maybe two years, the time starts to get fuzzy in there, but within about two and a half to three years, my income had been blessed to grow bigger than my husband's. And he had gone to law school and worked his ass off as a lawyer for a long time, having no fun watching me make all this money and have a whole lot of fun doing it. He was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And so I just said to him, if we can figure out insurance, we will do something else, figure out what you like to do. So he took some time off uh, from that career and discovered, ironically, I'm a huge rambler. So if you at any point want me to rein it back in, let me know. We will. We'll stop you whenever. <laughs> okay, good. My rambling game is strong. Yeah. When we first applied to college, he applied to be a, to college of education. He wanted to be a high school social studies teacher. And his father, in a, in a loving way, said, do you ever want to have a family because you can't support them <laughs> education <laughs> career? And so he went into business and sent him down a business degree and then law school and whatnot. And so in the time that he took off, 
leaving the practice of law, he was like, I, I want to get back in front of kids. He oh, He's always loved children. We worked his summer camp together. I was the director. He was the counselor. Like he's the player. I, I like to program. Like I like to organize and structure and he will go and play. So went down this path of like leadership, coaching development. He's John Maxwell certified now, went through that program, really wanted to get into the schools and work with kids on leadership and character development and those kinds of things. Quickly discovered that you can't just walk into a school and be like, I want to teach to kill the children. Preach, preach. But but seriously, like knowing, and I know Joe as well, and I can see where... He would just be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. Of course I am. And Mm -hmm. like, I've actually been, um, I've taken a couple of his, when he was doing online coaching courses, like I did a couple courses with him and he is an excellent instructor. If a school would have given him a chance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You could just walk in and be like, I want to share with the kids. If somebody had been like, yeah, sure. We could try that. It probably would have been successful. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's oh, he just has a knack for presentation and coaching and speaking. Like he's just always had a, it's always come very naturally to him. So since he couldn't get into schools, he started those mastermind courses, and he did that for about a year and a half. Did some one-on-one coaching, small group coaching, and then really just discovered he doesn't like working with human adults very much because they whine a lot <laughs> and don't do a whole lot to fix what they're complaining about. So that, that was an, an interesting twist to where he went. He said, I just want to work with kids. Kids yeah. are cool. Grownups are not. I was like, okay, that's how it's always been. Like I prefer grownups. You prefer kids. It doesn't surprise me. In that time of trying to figure out how I could work with kids, he discovered this organization called Pencils for Promise. Anything that Joe did mastermind wise or coaching wise, anything that he did it all for fundraising. So he never made a profit off of any of those services he built through those masterminds and those courses. He fundraised enough money to build two schools, uh, one in Guatemala or, and one in Laos. Right. I think so. Guatemala and Laos. He built two schools through this organization, Pencils of Promise, and became part of one of their leadership groups where they took some normal people and then celebrity people and put them all together. So he was on a group with Gary Vee and Lewis Howes. Hell yeah. So that's like, I'm wow. like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah let's go there. To, wait, well, how do we get in that group? How do, how do we get there. in that? Tell our listeners how we all get to be a part of that. <laughs> he went to Guatemala actually with Lewis House and another like another small group of people. And, and pencils of just, promise. Like, right. I was like, no, I'm serious. Do we just join pencils? Yes. Of promise? I'm signing you up start right now. Fundraising okay. for start pencils of promise. Signing up right now. It's yeah. probably you're probably gonna have to wait post COVID. I'm but, like, wait, is Brene know. Brown in that? I am there. Well, <laughs> then you go to Houston and you buy underwear because that's what she does. She does that underwear to, um, charity. He raised a lot of money. This is Joe. I'm just chiming in the uh, pencils of promise website. That's to build a school was about $50,000. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty yep. impressive. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he raised $100,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So he did all, what we have found in all of our fundraising efforts is that if you give somebody something, they're a lot more willing to give, to pay you for a service. So he's always trying to figure out or was always trying to figure out what can I do or provide or offer people that they're willing to pay for. And they feel good about mm-hmm. paying for it because I'm then giving the money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So in that, then we also, then he got throughout all of this, we have had been sponsoring children. We have two friends within my company's organization that have always sponsored and and really started orphanages, one in Ethiopia and then one in Sierra Leone. And the Sierra Leone orphanage is called the raining season. And we're really good friends with the founders of that. And Joe said to Jason, I want to go on one of these trips. And there was an interesting kind of experience where MTRS is a very a Christian-based orphanage, and Joe is not that. And so he thought that he wasn't able to go because he wasn't that. Right. And Jason, the founder, was like, no, like, we take them all. <laughs> like, if you want to come and <laughs> We're play a with the organization. kids. The door is open. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the- you know? But Jason's really used to people saying, oh, it's my time. I've been told I should come or I'm really excited to get involved. And then they don't follow through with right. it. So he doesn't, 
he never seeks you out. He waits until you come and seek him because he wants the right people to go and whatnot. Anyway, January 2019, Joe takes his first trip to the raining season. It's just him and two other guys, Jason being one of them. So it was a very small group, probably unique experience as far as volunteer trip would go. And jokingly before he goes, I keep saying things like you are not allowed to bring any children home with you, like no babies. And I'm saying this in jest, but really in my heart, I'm like, really please. <laughs> I don't want to adopt. I have, I've, I've, it's not even in my radar. I will just keep writing checks and, and helping these kids. Yes. However yes. I can. Yes. But I don't want to bring any of them home. Whereas I know, and, and Joe wasn't going there to find someone to adopt. He just really wanted to know how can I help? How can I get involved? How can I get my hands dirty, if you will? But like you could see where it could happen, where he would have been like, hey, Jamie, guess oh, yeah. what? Like, oh, yeah, there's this sure. kid. Like, yeah. it's like, how many dogs do y'all have now? It's just, it's honestly, it's, it's room for one more. There's room for one more. When I was a, cause I started out as a preschool teacher when I was in college and there mm-hmm. is even in a classroom full mm-hmm. of kids, you're not supposed to have favorites. There is right. that one or two kid that you feel that connection, connection to. Yeah. And you're just like, you're, it's that heart centered connection and yep. you just can't help it. And I think I know where this story's going. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> So he obviously he meets this boy, James, and it feels super connected to him. And he'll tell you, even coming home from that trip, never had any intentions of for aspirations to adopt him. He just wanted to continue to support him. So when he got back from the rainy season, he did things like he put in a book drive or not even a drive. It was how can we project these kids to to want to read more because he really believes readers are leaders and and that kind of thing. And he wanted to get more uh, reading access to them and he wanted to, them wanted it to be fun for them. So came up with this reading program for the center. He formed a relationship with a soccer club in Sierra Leone in Freetown specifically so that to partner with the boys that are in the center and the rating season houses about 80 displaced children. They have, have room for up to 100, but they're usually sitting around the 80 in case there's some catastrophe. Two years ago, there was a huge landslide and they brought in like 20 kids who just lost their families after the rain took them out. It's called the raining season because it is in the raining season from about July through early November. And it's literally, if you look at the forecast, it's just straight rain. Mm -hmm. It's one of the poorest places in the world. They don't have a post office or UPS or anything. It's also one of the the richest actual areas because of the diamonds. If you have seen or read or watched the movie, The Blood Diamonds, it actually takes place in in this area where the orphanage is in in the Sierra Leone area. But what everyone will tell you and told me is that it's full of the richest, culturally happy satisfied uh, a group of humans as well. There's more there, I'm sure as well. So anyway, Joe goes in January, comes back, no intentions of adoption. That's not on the table. We start sponsoring these specific boys more about their story, who they are, how they got there, etc. Jamie, how old are they? How old? So Jane, uh, see James was at the time he was 14. Gotcha. On paper. It, it That's part of the story later on, but Sierra Leone doesn't, um, really care about birthdays and um, they sell it like, cause all they, they wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to eat? Not right. how amazing my last milestone birthday was. And they also don't really have great record keeping. I think it was maybe two years ago, like the building that houses the records just caught fire. <laughs> so they, they just don't have them. Like you don't have like your birth certificate and your a file case. So we think he's 14. He, we do know he was brought in off of the streets working for something, part of a slave trade, probably a theft trade where they were, he was going and stealing and then bringing it back to quote unquote, his owners. Mm-hmm. But that's all very fuzzy. Yeah. So then in June, um, he was supposed to, I feel like this has become a James and Abraham story. In June, he was supposed to be uh, rehomed with his mother. Uh, his mother has passed away, um, but his mother's still alive. So he was forcibly reunified with her. There's a lot of layers in that story there, but to shorten it up a bit, Joe went back in August 
to because we got James back with his mother and then back to this reigning season. She she gave him up because she knew she couldn't beat him. She's a widowed mother. And in Sierra Leone, if you want a man to take care of you, it's really hard if you have not only not just children, but children that are boys and adolescent boys, because it's a very uh, kind of tribal. I am the man of the house society. So she had to get rid of, if you will, her boys in order to feed herself. And then she had a a baby girl who's about 12 months old. So she sent back to the center, the reigning season, James and Abraham, who's his brother, different fathers, but same mother. Joe went back in August to see them again. And again, just to see the center and came back from that trip with a a huge devotion to bring these boys home um, with us. And I still was like, nope, no thanks. Like, can I send them to college? Like, <laughs> how many checks can I write to make you understand that I don't want anything to do with this? And it came to the point really in our marriage that I had to, I needed to say, okay, I'll go and I'll meet them um, just so I can say that I'm saying no to something that I've at least experienced. So I signed up to go. I went in November and truly went to find something to say no to. And it took about 12 hours of one being in that country, being in their space and locking eyes with James that just flipped that all upside down. Tell us and more about what that was like. So you get whenever you arrive there, you arrive at night. Typically you have to fly forever and then you take a boat over. We have a beautiful hotel. There's air conditioning at the hotel and Wi-Fi and continental breakfast and things like that, thankfully. But then you have to walk about, I don't know, five minutes down the street and up the hill and up to the center. And it's, I have a lot of friends through the business that have been and adopted and experienced it. So I had a visual of what I was going to see before me. And it is a very moving experience. I met Abraham first, the brother. He is 11 at the time and like immediately became like attached to my hip. I had to carry my bag, very, just very doting on me. I had said to a girlfriend of mine before I went that I like the reason I never wanted to go. And I've said this before with our camp counselors. I don't really love children. I don't like playing with them. I don't like them hanging on me. I don't, you know, like I'm not like the woman who likes kids to play with my hair. That's just not, it's not my thing. It's not my mothering style. Right. Uh, so I didn't know what I was going to do going to an orphanage and I didn't want to, I feel like their lives were hard enough. Who's this, you know, crazy white woman who wants to insert herself into their world and doesn't even really want to be there. Like I had a lot of reservations about that. And then someone took a picture. I literally had been there for maybe 30 minutes that someone was like standing on like a ledge above and all you can see is the top of my head. And I am covered with black children, orphans hanging all over me. And I am totally elated. Like it was like heaven. And so I sent my girlfriend that picture. I was like, I guess I'm totally fine with kids hanging on me and playing with them as long as they're black orphans in Africa. That works for me. But so what do you think made that difference for you? I think it's the, just being there. It's the experience. It's the, what was super interesting. It, you know, there's such a huge language barrier. They don't, most of them don't speak fluent English, but they see me as someone who's just there to love on them. And it was really easy to do that. It was really easy to want to make them feel loved. So I got to ask a tough question. I just pulled up the picture. Yeah. To show Sarah. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Because if I'm a listener, I'd be thinking this. And so it's my job to ask it. So at this point, you already had the four kids at home, right? Yes, ma'am. Did you have that experience? What I'm hearing you say is that was not your experience with your biological children at home. Mm -hmm. And that for you, the first time you felt that way was when you were at the orphanage. Am I understanding that? Yeah. So just like I... I'm just not the mother who's on the, you know, ground playing cars and trucks and Barbie dolls. Like, I'm just not a very, I I like to sit and read and I like to, I'm just, I'm not a playful woman, if that makes sense. Your engagement just doesn't look like that stereotypical image of someone who may go out, set out to intentionally have four children. 
under four. Uh, that are <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I can't you know even I mean? imagine like, four under four. God bless but, you. Yeah. But, but it's but that's the thing, right? Like you're so you're taking your vision of motherhood as what you were expecting to experience of wanting to be this like. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think people would go to an orphanage because they like children and they want to make them, they want right. to play with them and love and love on them. And that, that's not my natural tendency. Right. Well, it's like that commercial, that migraine commercial. I hate that damn migraine commercial. I hate commercial, that commercial too. Where that I damn exactly mom is, look, I'm frolicking and we're playing make-believe and now I'm the spaceship yeah. and she's like arts and crafting the spaceship and she's smiling the whole, I hate her. <laughs> I hate that commercial. But that's, I think what you're doing is normalizing. is what gave her the headache in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, yes. Yeah. But it's one of those things that you're normalizing that not every mother is June Cleaver. Not right. every mother. But I, I want to know is what, because I get that, but then she had the shift when she was yeah. there. That's what I'm trying well, to Well, it's at. the connection shift, I think, is what you yeah. were going in expecting one thing and going in with the intention of being like, no way, Joe. Like, yeah. I went there, I did it. And then something happened, like some magic. Did that happened. shift? Okay, so that what I'm curious about is, okay, I get that shift. When mm-hmm. you came back from the orphanage, did the shift sustain to life back in the States? Is that my making sense? Yeah, so I, when I, I remember saying to uh, one of the adults there, if I had to decide right this minute, I would bring these boys on this boat with me right now. But I know that I don't, and I need some emotional separation to make sure I'm just not drunk on orphans over here in Africa. Right. Um, And I want to make sure that I feel this way (laughs) about these boys, not just about this experience. Right, right. Right. Super in tune to that. Right. Because it's easy to go and be in that space and think to yourself, like, oh, my God, I just want to save them all. Right. They're amazing. They're these. And then the reality and is then the, the day to day, the day to day. And yes. you have four kids yeah. at home and you yes. have a business and you have right. family and you tra- y'all travel a yeah. lot. Normally. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew I needed to come home. I wanted to have a conversation with each of my kids individually. I wanted to have family conversations. I wanted to have some space from it and see how I felt. And I did all of those things. And I noticed myself, I kept trying to talk myself out of wanting it mm-hmm. um, because I knew what we were signing up for was going to be so difficult. Not even, not even the getting them here, not even them being here, but the, the process, I'm such a, I am such a type A, Enneagram three control freak person. Like how would I and we survive this experience of adoption. I'd heard so many horror stories of it happening and not happening and the struggles. And like, I'm used to being in in charge and I knew that wasn't going to be this. So that I was, there was a lot of fear there. We had my oldest is, is a lot like me and that we don't really love to talk about our emotions or really are any of our feelings at all. And he's also a 13 year old boy. So I have to prep him like, okay, dude, I want to talk to you about this. I'm going to give you an hour to think about it. <laughs> We're going to come back here. You're going to be in the car. So you can't avoid me. And I want, I need some, I need some words from you. Right. right? So prepare your brain to answer some questions. I give them you some must participate. Right. Let's role play this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they were, and all of the kids were asking questions about where are they going to go to school or what kind of car are we going to drive or where are they going to sleep or like very logistical kinds of things. And, and I had this like epiphany maybe two Mondays after I was driving home from the gym and, and we were at this point where we needed to decide are we going to do this or not? We're, we're under a little bit of a time crunch because of the age of the boys. It, uh, technically, not technically, Sierra Leone, nothing's really technical, but as of 16, they age out of the adoption, the ability to be adopted. And James just turned 15 on, in June. So we need to do this quickly. It's not something that we can think about and go back and visit them a few more times and decide. So either we need to do it or figure out what our next steps are. And so we we're at that point, we could, I could just tell like we needed to make a decision and we just needed to, we just needed to move forward. And so I've had this memory driving home from the gym. My mom was getting remarried. It was the summer before my freshman year of high school. And she called me to 
mean, I knew they were getting married. This was her third marriage. And he was a, he's a wonderful man. He, they've been married, I don't know, 25 years now. He's hurt. He's wonderful. But so she called me to tell me that one of my girlfriend's father was going to be the minister of this wedding ceremony in our backyard. And I <laughs> lost my shit. I was like, what? No, I don't want anyone to know about this. This is embarrassing. Or like, I like your in your brain, your 14 year old brain. You're like, no one can know about my life at home because I don't want, I want, I, you want to like keep the world out. And so I had this really negative reaction to it being someone I knew's dad marrying my parents. And, and my mom's reaction to me was like, Jamie, that's really selfish. You know, this isn't about you. Just very like, bleh. and then I felt terrible about it. I had this memory. And then I realized that just because in my mind, just because I reacted that way, doesn't mean it was the wrong way to react because I was acting age appropriately right. for a 14 year old. And my mom didn't give me permission to have those feelings and just say, listen, I get it, but we're doing it anyway. She, she right. you know, like didn't give me the opportunity to do that. So I came home and, and said, both, and our boys were here, uh, they're seventh and sixth grade. And I said, listen, the questions that you're asking us, we don't know the answers to, and we won't know the answers to until they're here. But you have to trust, this all comes down to trust. You have to trust that you are the most important things to us and that dad and I are not ever going to make a decision that's going to make your life miserable intentionally or that dad and I are doing this to harm you or we have to, you have to trust us that we're making these decisions out of love. And we have to trust you that when you're uncomfortable or have a question or feel left out or whatever, we have to trust that you're going to come to us and talk to us about it. And if we as a family can agree to trust one another through this, then I think we have an opportunity to do something really cool and very special. And everyone was just like, okay, yeah, I think we can do that. And then so here we go. I want to pause this part of the story for a minute because I want yeah. to go back to this foundation of trust. Because Sarah is very interested in yours and Joe's love story. The mm. whole concept of high school sweethearts fascinates me beyond no end. <laughs> and I've never had the opportunity to really dig in and ask questions. I know several people who mm. are high school sweethearts. My parents are high school sweethearts. Are they really? Yeah. So, so it's actually funny because my dad took my mom to his prom and she wouldn't, she didn't return the favor. <laughs> Did they go to she boys went, and girls schools? They did, went to different schools. My dad was two years older. So, like, he took my mom to his prom, and then two years later, she didn't take him. Did she just not go, or she went with No, she else? went with somebody else, because she was, like, a hot ticket, apparently, in high school. But then they were, yeah, then after a couple years later, they reconnected, and, yeah. See, that makes sense, because, yes, they were high school sweethearts, but then they disconnected, then they reconnected. The concept of staying with one person for, I, like... And I know that I am projecting the hell out of this when I who I was in high school. Oh God! And my yeah, high no. school mm-hmm. boyfriend. No, y'all. Mm-hmm. And so that I don't. My brain can't wrap. She, she can't around comprehend. It. So can you help her? <laughs> so I really no. I like. I appreciate the opportunity to ask these questions because I've always wanted to know what is that experience like of who you because who I was at sixteen, seventeen, and the evolution of who I am now. It is completely different. And so I can't imagine taking that journey with one single person. I don't know. I just can't. How does that, how does that work? I immediately go to, I can't imagine it not taking it with the same person. I, because so there's this line in a really terrible movie with what's it called? Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez and the dancing. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about? Susan Stranded thinks he's having an affair. Yes. Yes. No, when he's learning to tango. Yes. Yes. Something like that. And so she, Susan Sarandon hires a private investigator to spy on him. They meet at a bar with the, the infamous manila envelope of photos. And she pushes him back and she says to him, do you know why people get married? And he goes, true love or something like that. She goes, no, people get married to have a witness to their life. They get married because they want someone to witness what they've done who they've loved, how they've succeeded, how they've failed. And to me, that was, I I feel, I think about that all the time, how powerful that statement is that it's not always about passion and romance and love and all of that, but it's having someone to witness 
who you really are and who you've journeyed from to become. Yes, totally beautiful. Love that. Oh my God. And now I'm like, I should have married my high school sweetheart. <laughs> no, no, you should not have married your high school sweetheart. <laughs> Joe and I are not, we've been through counseling. We've, we are opposites in that we always say he's very much the stereotypical, emotional, sensitive woman role that you, that you would see put out there. And I'm much more the factual, I don't want to say heartless, but like, just your information driven but it's funny Uh, that you said you make decisions with your gut right right so even though you're information driven it's that that core value of just going with what feels right and I do think Mm -hmm. that there's this amazing because my friends that are with their high school sweethearts it's a, a level of beautiful love that is different. It's like a, a, a transcendent thing. It's a beautiful, amazing, and I just, I adore Well, and it's the history piece of it because you know yeah, yeah. that somebody who knew you when. Right. Is, you can share your secrets with somebody that you meet later on, but when you're with someone who knows. And was there with you. And was there with it. you experiencing it, that's that witness piece, right? Yeah. That's the, that's a, it provides a yeah. different level of connection. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We also both come from, we come from divorced families and really early on in our relationship, probably earlier than we ever should have just both said, I'll never do that. I'll never put my children through that experience. There's always got to be a better way. So then how, and, okay, let's talk about that. Cause I agree of a better way. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. I am pro marriage, but I am mm-hmm. pro healthy marriage. Like I want to be really clear, sure. like For children sure. growing up in loveless or toxic environments is equally yep. as harmful to them yes. as children going through. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so how do you guys maintain or what do you guys do in order to keep it a sacred love filled marriage so that they're growing up? Well, healthy yes. environment. And then yes. that way that, all right, so this is going to lead back to the boys I think mm-hmm. because it's how do you create that foundation that you have that, that, yeah, like you're saying, like that, that the trust, the, the trust and the commitment, the dedication uh, to, yeah. to doing the work to make it healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I think us both having that uh, stubborn commitment of this isn't going anywhere, it's not going anywhere. So let's not make it miserable. When we've had miserable seasons, what, you know, is it him? Is it me? Is it what's lacking and what can we do to fix it? Like we're constantly, if we fall into, into a rut, it'll, something will happen where it's okay. This has been going on for three months. What are we going to do? So it doesn't go on for three more months, but it's, we're not ever looking for a way out. We're looking for a way back in. Oh, good Uh, quote. Tweak that shit right now. So many good nuggets. <laughs> Trademark that mess. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm saying that to my husband at home. Like, that's what I heard today. And, you know, I, I very early on, you always have the, the friends who went first, right? Like, the friend who got married first, the friend who had the first baby. Yeah. So, my first friend did both of those things first, got married first, had the first baby. And she, so everything that we did afterwards, we're like, how did you do this? Or how did you do this? I remember... She had the first baby and I remember being somewhere with my first baby and I had forgotten the pacifier and I like called her. I was like, can I just take one off the shelf and open the package and give it to him? Like, is that illegal? Or she's like, no, just give him the pacifier. I'm right. like, okay, good. Take it. You know, Wipe it like, off in your mouth. It's all good. Yes. Yes. Right? But you're looking for that, that the validation from someone yeah. who's walked that path. Right. Yes. So right. yes. This same friend from another friend, she followed baby wise. So we're, so I was like, okay, you did that. I'll do that. So we were very big into, and that's my personality, sleep training, et cetera. But one of the key things from baby wise, very early on in the book talks about how you have to realize that you and your husband are a thing Mm -hmm. and your life is not around the baby. The baby is becoming a part of the life that already exists. Mm-hmm. So we've been always tried to be really conscious of that too, as a family unit. It's not, our world doesn't revolve around our children. It it's, we're all one big world, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. So yep. yes. Yeah. I think yeah. that that has also been part of what's in, in, enabled me to grow the business I have because I've been willing to sacrifice 
things that maybe a lot of other mothers in my same situation would not because they didn't think it was the right thing to do for their family. And I wouldn't but even I, use the word sacrifice. No, I wouldn't say sacrifice. Because that has a negative connotation. Right. You are willing to make, you are willing to choose this thing versus this thing. Yeah. yeah. I knew that Sarah's going to reframe your thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn it off. She, she's, yeah, no, it's, it's impossible. But, but it's, and it is, it's one of those things that like, and I've seen Jamie in action and the business side of things, and it's the same genuineness, authenticity, vulnerability, and drive that I've seen for the, you know, the family piece mm-hmm. of it, right? For like sure. it's, it, there's that balance is there, and whether it's the family unit or the business, which really she treats as a, I mean, like a business family. Is that mm-hmm. the thing? Mm-hmm. Like it would be because you brought on your people. Yeah. Like you brought, like yeah. your people are her leaders. Like right. she, she create basically if you could take, if you could pick the people that you wanted to work with forever, <laughs> Jamie went forever, like, forever. and here's one and here's one and here's one and there it is. And I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like it's really like from the outside, it's a really cool thing to see. It's like with the collaborative trust that we talk about with Tracy and mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. where we're like, okay, we've got, okay, when Paul, Robert, here's our collaborative trust. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Your board of directors, but you just brought them on to do great big things with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so getting back to the, um, find, like we totally derailed because well, we were so like floored by that finding a way back in and treating, so treating the family as a unit, right? So yeah. you're bringing and everybody in the family is on the team that's what we do our kids too is i'm not sacrificing my kids for my work we We are part of the team (laughs) and i'm like hey boys i need your help as the team to Mm -hmm. be quiet while mommy's on this call or i need your help with this so that then i can attend and be here at your soccer game and so that i can do this like we are a team and in that team is work Fun, school, like those are all of the components of our family team. And that's where we've gotten to now is that like I had to leave that the house (laughs) because with quarantine, it was too much. Like I can't work in that environment and be a good mom and be a good wife. So I escape for some hours every day and go to a co-working space. And I do, that's my survival because, and the kids miss me, but you know what? It's good to miss your kids. My kids are at the grandparents right now. Y'all, they've been there since Tuesday. We're now on oh Friday. Gosh, that's amazing. It, Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing. I was like, look, I'm eating a meal and nobody's bitching that we're eating shrimp. Like I get to eat the meal and nobody's complaining about what we're eating. That was the little thing on Tuesday where I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me. So I had this like pivotal business experience and I actually, I have shared it on stages since then, just talking about your story and, and your experiences and, and celebrating them. I was telling my story and I was uh, you know saying the whole thing about grownups and how I really am not, I love my children, but I really like grownups. Like just cheering that right to the audience and uh, about my story. So after this presentation, um, I have two experiences. One woman comes up to me and how much she loves it and how funny she thinks I am, blah, blah, blah. And then the second woman, um, comes up and I'm in like a group of three or four women in a little circle. And she goes, I really appreciate your story, but I hope that if your children are ever listening, you change it. And I've I was like, that before too. Wait, what? <laughs> like I, was so, I was so taken aback that I, I, I remember laughing her off uncomfortably and then removing myself. Cause I was like, wait, what just happened? I didn't know right. what just and then so I, I got to this point where I was like, oh my goodness, no, like, I hope that my girls always hear me tell this part of my story and yeah. feel like that they can grow up and be a mom and yes. be yes. a badass business owner at the same yes. time. Like, I hope that my kids always have dreams and hopes of their yes. own and have yes. nothing to do with their family life. Like, and it's that part of who I am to make them feel like I love them more because then it actually shows them to love themselves less. Yes, that's girl. the and and life. That's well, our that's purpose. The thing, is I can love you and want time to myself. Yep. I can yeah. love you yeah. and like adults and mm-hmm. be around adult time. Like it's good to miss your children. No, it is. And that's where <laughs> Sarah and I talk about this all the time about living the and life. Like we went and got tattoos with ampersand. So I just give her the finger because Sarah got hers on her finger. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I love finger tattoos. <laughs> and but it's an ampersand to represent that and life. Like you can yeah. disagree with someone and still love them. Yeah. You can yeah, feel so like things are hard and yeah. still do things with yeah. And I've been told that same exact thing of, I hope you change that. Did you know your kids are going to read this one day or see this one day? And I'm like, yes. yes. And they're going to know that they can tell the truth and that they are not alone. That right. when they're right. in the trenches and they're going, right. man, this parenting thing is hard. Right. Man, and I just want some time. You are a second woman, not just a mom. You know, yes. I, I think about what are they going to, when they're 41 years old and if they're, you know, having a crisis or emotionally drawn to something or want to change or whatever it is, like, what are they going to think back on to my example? Mm-hmm. Did they see me succeed? Did they see me suffer? Did they see me sad? Did they, did I, did I give them, you know, my full experiences of good and bad so that when they're growing, they have something to reference. Right. Or right? did you only show them the good? So they think, oh my right. God, something's wrong with me. If everything right. isn't good all the right. time. So real quick, because we're going to be running out of time soon. Yes. And I want to continue this conversation. <laughs> like, I just want to keep talking, which <laughs> happens. But so you have your family meeting, your family unit discussion, yes. and then everybody's on board and yep. the boys are coming or what's... And then yeah, COVID, so, we, so we just started the process. Joe and I agreed ahead of time that anything that we could do on our end of things to expedite it, we would. So if that was like an extra hundred bucks to express it, like that's, we did those things. So long as it was in our control, we were going to do it as quickly as possible. And the other thing that was super important to me was that my uh, boys went to go meet those boys over there, other boys, before this all happened. I wanted them to one, see where they were coming from. I think that we knew that would help when they got here. And two, there's a heaviness of, oh my gosh, what if they don't like each other? (laughs) You know, like what if they're not going to get along? We're going to do it, but that's going to be even more difficult. Joe and my two boys went in January and spent a week there just being boys. Um, it was, I, I had no idea until I saw a picture of the five of them together and lost my mind. No idea how much like anxiety was in my, like your shoulders are real tight. Like yep. oh, until I saw the picture and everything was totally fine. I was like, oh, okay, good. Like, okay. Yep. Yep. And it was normal. It was like, they were on their phones and they were playing twister and it, it was just total as if they'd known each other forever. Right. And my boys then got to see what their orphanage looks like and and what their beds look like and where they go to school. And that having that, I think, awareness, once the boys, once James and Abraham do get here, will help transition for sure. Mm -hmm. Showing her another picture. So those two things are super important. For the most part, everyone has been, everyone's on board. Like they, what's been really difficult, obviously, during Corona and the quarantine, they're on a lockdown in the orphanage. So that means that they're they They have a crew that comes in and helps them do Skype. So we haven't been able to Skype with them since March. Right. I was supposed to go in April um, and that was obviously canceled. So we've just been writing a whole lot of letters back and forth. And it just comes through screenshots that we send them and then they write them and then they send them back through a screenshot. So oh, wow. Yeah. Um, no postal service. Wow. Yeah. They don't have a post yeah. office. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I love that creative workaround. Yeah. We'll write it, screenshot yeah. it, and then that's all. Awesome. Yeah, and Joe, like, you know, he said to Sori Kamara is the executive director on the ground over there, or business director or something, and he and Joe have formed a really great relationship. And so Joe reached out to him, I don't know, maybe in April, and said, what can I do to keep the kids? Because their schools are closed. So they're reading and whatnot, but what can I do? So they did a, he did an essay contest. And he did, there was, he did an age group for the littles and an age group for the bigs. And he got like 60 submissions of these children. And it was something along the lines of how to use your voice or leadership, something. And and some really incredible responses from these kids. But that's how Joe's brain is always working. What can I do to keep them engaged and keep their brains working? And and the reward was they got to, they're going to get a custom skirt or shirt for service nice Very love cool. it. yeah love it oh love it. jamie thank you so much yep we love it it's my jam i like I it totally know. yeah 
So there's one more thing that we're going to do. Yeah. So on the girls who do stuff, we have this thing called the lightning round. <laughs> I love it. And so what we do is we rapid fire your questions and you say the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Oh yeah, ready. I know. We, we make, make me nervous. nervous. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. All right. Go ahead. If you could go back to yourself in the past, what age would you go to and what advice would you give yourself? Uh, 24, run more. (laughs) 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 Keep exercising. (laughs) What is your favorite place in the world? Hawaii. What keeps you up at night? Oh my God, everything, ping pong balls. We have a ping pong ball brain and it's like just ping, ping, like all the things. I can't sleep. How do you unwind? Wine. What does success look like to you? Mm, Joy, uh, peace, like just feeling calm and peaceful and joyful. What's the number one thing on your bucket list? Oh gosh, I don't know if I have a bucket list. Is that terrible? Maybe I need a bucket no, list. No, it's not. Our last guest said the same thing. It was like, I don't have a bucket list. And I'm like, <laughs> apparently it's no more in fashion. So yes. we should probably remove yes. that question. <laughs> Pretty incredible things. I've right. but What do you want your legacy to be? I'm joyful. Again, I think that I loved, I was loved and loved. Okay. If, let's see, what is your number one favorite book? Oh my gosh, Untamed right now. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. That book. <laughs> yes. What is something people often get wrong about you? I don't know. I feel like I'm a pretty transparent person, so people know me. <laughs> <laughs> I think people often get wrong that I don't have any, uh, that I don't struggle. Okay. Right. I think I have a, you know, yep. pretty good. Yep. If your life had a theme song, what would it be? Life was a theme song. Something by Dave Matthews, for sure. Yes. There's so many good ones. Mm, every day. Oh, mm-hmm. you and me. That would be my, I, if, if oh, I yeah, were to me, it's our family song, for sure. Yeah. Nice. Sorry. She said Dave. They've done the thing in Mexico with Dave and Tim and the, yeah, that's awesome. on my bucket list. That's awesome. And if it ever comes back, if that's on if my bucket list. Back. Yeah. All righty. How can our listeners find you? How can you find me? So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm, I'm not very good at stories, so you won't find me in stories often. Um, but Facebook and Instagram, my website's getting a refresh. It's just Jamie Walker. You can go find yeah, her. Jamie Walker. Mm-hmm. Nothing fancy. It's me. It's all me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. You. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. It was nice to be here. Thank you for um, your your sharing and your transparency and, and being open and willing to really come in with no prep. (laughs) None at all. I got my coffee just in case. (laughs) All right. right. And so go find Jamie on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you want to find us, you can find us girls who do stuff on Facebook and Instagram and like us subscribe rate us it helps other people find us so you can continue to get quality content and hear great stories like from jamie walker with dogs barking in the background <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did pretty good they yeah good. agreed agreed <laughs> like, and there we are and now we're done yes all right thank you so much for listening to the girls who do stuff i am jenny midgley i'm sarah madras and, and you, you do, do you boo we love making this stuff for you You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media.